0: You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. Talk about the kingdom of of God and what it means to be a citizen in the kingdom of God. Because a a citizen in the kingdom of God looks a lot different than what it it might look like as a citizen of the U.S. Somebody say thank you. (laughs) It just looks different. I mean, do I still have as a Christian, as a citizen of, of heaven, do I still have the right to freedom of speech? I do have the right to freedom of speech. However, as a citizen of of God's kingdom, as a citizen of heaven, I don't necessarily have the right to say whatever I want to say or whatever I'm feeling, right? I don't don't have that right as a citizen of God's kingdom. And so we're seeing the contrast. May your kingdom come. We started there and now we're in a few part series of your will be done. And the reality is this, if if we as Christ followers would begin to pray this more often or make this statement more often and, and actually mean it, your will be done. Not only would our life be different, but our nation would be different. I really believe that our nation is in the place that it is because the church stopped saying this. Your will be done. In other words, whatever you want to do in my life and however you want to do it, your will be done. I mean, aren't we so glad that that Jesus made this statement, but he actually walked through it? Like he's in the garden the night before his crucifixion, and he knows what he's going to face. It's been prophesied. He knows about the thorns and the beating. He knows about the nails. He knows about the cross. He knows about the spear. He knows about all those things. That's why he was in such anguish. Yet he says this, your will be done. I think we've gotten away from that as Christ followers, as citizens of God's kingdom. Sometimes, I mean, if we're honest, sometimes we. Your will be done if, and then you could just fill in the blank there. If it's not too painful, if I don't have to lose too much, if it's fun, if it brings me a good income, if it, right? Your will be done. If, and that's just not how we're supposed to live. I got way off notes, but that's cool. <laughs> I was thinking about that just even as we were singing the song, uh, I, I would build my life. I mean, I, I mean, as we sing that, does that, does that mean anything to us? I'm going to build my life, my complete life on who Jesus is, right? I was thinking about the parable of the three, oh, it's that's a nursery rhyme, not a parable of the three little pigs, <laughs> I have five kids <laughs> under, under the age of nine and then four that are older, but uh, I was, <laughs> isn't it funny? This is, this is a dad. I'm just, oh man. And then I was, all of a sudden I'm thinking about the three little pigs and how they, <laughs> how they built their houses from different materials. And you know this, you know this story. And I want, I'm thinking, oh, I just want to be that pig that's built his house on the bricks and then anyways, and I'll huff and I'll puff. Uh, anyways, let's get into the notes. As citizens of God's kingdom, we should be in an ongoing process of spiritual growth and development. We must know who we are and have our lives firmly established on the truth of God's word. This morning in this series of Your Will Be Done, we're going to talk about discipleship, and it's one of my favorite topics to talk about. I love, love, love speaking on the Holy Spirit, and I love, love, love speaking on discipleship, mainly because as I'm preparing for it myself or as I'm studying it just on my own, it's just so challenging to, to me. And I, I hope at some point you want to lift your feet off the floor this morning. I would, but then I would end up falling over. Uh, but lift your feet up off the floor because, man, if we're in God's word and it's not challenging us, we're probably not listening to God's word, not necessarily to me but to, or anybody else that's speaking. But to God's word, it's got to challenge us this morning because we've got to leave and begin to do things differently than perhaps what we did even this morning and, and yesterday. But I love talking about discipleship, and, and I think it's something that we don't talk about enough And I certainly feel like it's something that we don't understand in our modern church culture. Discipleship in the kingdom is the process by which we bring all of life, all of life, under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And the goal of discipleship is conformity to Jesus. You know, again, something that we face in our our nation is everybody's Christians, right? Christian or Muslim or but I mean, we, we talk about America being a Christian nation. I, I don't think that it is a Christian nation. I don't think that it'll ever be a, a Christian nation. But a lot of people identify as Christian. In, in fact, uh, many people who attend a, church, attend a church somewhere, and maybe they have for years, would identify themselves as Christian. But when you really begin to investigate their lives, and if they would do that on their own or allow the Holy Spirit to do that, they would see that there's very little relationship with Jesus at all. In fact, I was having a conversation with somebody just a few days ago, just about the term Christian and how sometimes we even in the church as pastors, we want to avoid that word just because it's so diluted. But Christian means Christ follower. Like we we follow Jesus. Christianity doesn't mean I, I just, I prayed a prayer of salvation and now I'm saved. Christianity means my life is changing. It's conforming to be more like Jesus. I mean, that's what it means to be a Christian. So I would, I would dare say that there's probably many in our churches today, not none of y'all, none of y'all. I'm not talking about you guys, other churches uh, who, who fill seats and pews every Sunday, but man, are, are they really Christ followers, I think we've done a masterful job in the church of leaving people at the altar. That's what I call it. We just leave them right there. We invite them up. They pray a prayer, and then we just leave them there. And that's not what it means to be a Christ follower. It means now from that point when we're empowered to live like Jesus, every step after that is now conforming to be and to live like Jesus. Look at 2 Corinthians 3.18. I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation. Uh, so you might have something different. I think what's going to be on the screen, if it's there, is, is oh, it's NIV. So let me read from there. Oh, can I just read from the NLT? I'm going to read from the NLT. If you're following, it's going to, it might be a little bit different. Here, this is what it says. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. So let's talk about that veil real quick. That veil, as you look through Scripture, is really understanding, Uh, We know that when Jesus was sacrificed, the the veil and temple was ripped from, from top to bottom, right now opening up the way that we can go directly to Father God. Isn't that awesome? But as we see this this veil being removed, it's our understanding of who God is and our understanding of who Jesus is and our understanding of what salvation means and what it means to be a Christ follower. So he's saying that as that veil is removed, in other words, as as we're spending time with Jesus and spending time in his word and we're gaining understanding and knowledge, we can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. So all of us that have had this veil removed or it's being removed can reflect the glory of the Lord. This veil being removed means we can, we can know Jesus and begin to live like Jesus. How, and raise your hand if you have small kids still in the house. If you have small kids in the house, if you haven't found this out, depending on their age, I mean, obviously, if they, if they can't move around a lot and can't talk a lot, you'll, you're not seeing this yet, but you will man, they begin to reflect the glory of who you are, (laughs) right? And that can get you in trouble sometimes. That can get you in a lot of trouble sometimes because they're going to say things that they hear you say, and they're going to do things the way you do things. In fact, one of the things I was challenged on very early on in, in my fatherhood is how I respond to my wife how I talk to my wife, even when I'm frustrated and, and angry and how I respond to her, my kids pick up on that. And my kids, they'll disrespect my wife just as quickly as I do if they're seeing that in me. And so very early on, man, it was just like this blaring reflection coming back at me of how I was talking to my wife when I was frustrated and angry and, or how we talk to them when we're our kids. When we, so they, they see me. The same thing God is asking for us to do as we 're walking out this life of discipleship that we 're seeing and reflecting the glory of Jesus if we see uh, if, if, if we look in the New Testament as Jesus began to to gain disciples or this is this is kind of what happened and we'll kind of make it a quick version but jesus knew what he was uh, about he knew what his business was he says i was about my father's business and so he knew that he was supposed to gather other people and so this is what he did he went around and he began to talk to some of the guys some fishermen right he comes up to some fishermen and he says hey come follow me and it says they dropped their nets immediately and followed him listen they knew what that meant come follow me they knew what that meant because of the culture of of the jewish people at that time you were a disciple of a rabbi. these little boys were being raised up to be disciples of a rabbi of a teacher and they knew exactly what they meant so i would assume and and we we can't get this exactly from scripture but i would assume that if you became a fisherman or something other than a disciple of a rabbi it means you didn't quite cut it i I don't know maybe you couldn't memorize the the whole torah or I, i don't know what but they didn't quite cut it but here's jesus going and say come follow me but they knew this is what it meant it doesn't mean that I'm just gonna follow Jesus around and as he's doing things, I'm watching. No, it meant, and they knew this, that I, I was gonna begin to follow Jesus. As a disciple, I'd begin to follow him and I would begin to live like him. I I would go everywhere that he went and I would eat the food that he ate and I would begin to pray for people the way that he prayed for people. I would begin to speak the word of God the way that he began to speak the word of God. It means I was gonna be like Jesus. I wasn't just gonna tag along behind him. That's not what the follow me meant meant that I was going to leave everything behind. And I love that in that specific instance, it says they drop their knits immediately and begin to follow. It's been said a student learns what his teacher knows, but a disciple becomes what his master is. See, it's not about just knowing. Even when it comes to being a Christ follower and getting into God's word. James says we can't be just a hearer of the word. We've got to be a, a doer. We've actually got to live it out. I also read this quote, discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. Let that sink in a bit. I had the opportunity to speak in Cornelius last week and one of the things that God showed me or revealed to me uh, e- even a few months before, I mean, I, I knew the outline, I knew that was coming up. And, uh, but one of the things that he revealed to me and just began to challenge me on is, is I, I love to frequently go back and spend some time just reading the red letters, Right? What represents Jesus' life, the things that he said and the things that he did? And, but the Holy Spirit really challenged me on if, if, there was a, if there was a portion of Scripture or a book that was written in red letters about my life, what would it actually say? Would it, if we're going back to this reflection of who Jesus is, would it reflect the glory of Jesus? Would it, would it be similar at all to the red letters we actually see in Scripture? Look at Colossians 2. Verses six through eight. Thank you, Jesus. That's what that was. And now just as you accepted Christ Jesus, I I do speak baby. I've had a few. And now just as you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. And we're going to talk about that some, but I it, it's something that I've seen just it, it happens in the church. It's, and it's happening in our younger generations because the older generations, we're, we're not teaching about this enough. We're not talking about it enough. But I see more and more those that are, that are younger than me basing so much about feeling, how, how they feel about things, or even this, this freedom of thought, right? But when it comes to being a Christ follower, I don't know that we have that freedom of thought. It's pretty spelled out for us, right, in Scripture, right? I mean, God lays it out for us. It's very clear on how we're supposed to live. So it's not based on an opinion or a perception. It's based on the truth of God's word. Listen, church, we've got to begin to speak more about the truth of God's word and even challenge those around us, especially in our culture, no matter how old they are, when when we begin to see or hear that what they're basing their life on or decisions on is based on a feeling or a perception or opinion or a right As a U.S. citizen, listen, salvation is the entry into God's kingdom. And as we follow Jesus, it opens the way for an ongoing process of spiritual growth. Listen, spiritual growth is marked by change. Let me say that again. Spiritual growth is marked by change. And I can tell you there's been several times in my life as I'm asking God about my own spiritual growth, he would ask me this question, are you changing? And if my answer is, well, not a whole lot, then the answer is also, well, then I'm not spiritually growing. There's just no getting getting around that. I, I wish that we could. I wish it was a little bit easier. I wish that I could just say that I'm spiritually growing or experiencing spiritual growth. But if my life isn't changing and I'm not becoming more and more like Jesus, well, then I'm not growing. I'm not growing at all, in fact. And so in our own lives as Christ followers, and this can be a day-to-day thing. I know it is in my life. Sometimes the questions I'm asking God is, God, did I respond to certain situations differently today than I did yesterday or would have yesterday? For, for me, God, am I growing in patience at home, right? Or while I'm driving down the road behind the slowest person has ever lived? Driving right in front of me. Their blinker's been on for five miles. Oh, sorry. That's, I think that was more of a confession. <laughs> Spiritual growth is marked by change. We've got to be changing. So here we go. As discipleship, as we talk about discipleship, this is the first point. Discipleship involves an ongoing process, listen to this, of intentional investment. We just read about that in Colossians 2, 6 and 7 discipleship. If you are a disciple, you, there is an investment, an intentional investment that's happening in your life. I love how the author of Hebrews writes this and let us run with endurance. The race God has set before us. Look, I'm, I'll be honest with you. Like, as soon as I talk about running, it's like, what? (laughs) I haven't run in a long, long time. Right? Uh, in fact, I saw a meme. I saw a meme that made me laugh out loud, uh, the other day that said something like this. I got a, I got a in my sleep the other night. And I just thought, this is how it ends. (laughs) Right? Anybody else at that point, like we were singing a song. And when I fight, I fight on my knees. Uh, That's great. I used to be one that's like, man, I wanted to express everything of worship. There's very few times I get on my knees anymore. Getting down, is pretty easy. Getting back up is like, oh, so the, with my hands lifted high, that's like, please help me up. (laughs) But when we see here in Hebrews and let us run, Look what it says, run with endurance. What does endurance mean? Endurance means, man, this is a long run. This is a long race. This isn't just a sprint to my car or to the door of McDonald's. This is a long run. Let us run with endurance. What does that mean to us as disciples? It means, listen, this is a long process, a lifelong process. In fact, it doesn't stop. We just keep running and running and running. And I don't know if that's an encouragement to you. It, it is to me because it means, man, if I'm not doing so great today, by the grace of God, I can tomorrow, right? When it comes to racing, especially along, how many of you were ever long distance runners? Anybody? Or track and field sprinters or, or, or really any type of sport, really. You know, I just, you just don't wake up one day and go, man, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to run 10 miles today, today, you know, I've never done it before. Today, I'm going to run 10 miles. You know, you start getting all dressed and nobody does that. Why? Because we all know we can't. (laughs) No, we all know that there's a process that would lead up to that 10 miles. There's stuff that I have to do to get my body ready for that. I mean, I got to make sure I'm hydrated. I've got to be running shorter distances along the way to build my muscles up to a place where now I can run to cardio wise. Man, if I, if I were to sprint from here to the parking lot, I'd get out there and be like, (gasps) right? So there's things that we have to do. When we go back to this point, discipleship involves an intentional investment. Listen, to be a disciple of Jesus, we've got to invest time and we've got to invest energy. Sometimes we've got to invest our physical being into this to, to live like Jesus. And, and to be honest if I'm not careful, there, there can be days or weeks that go by, even though I'm a pastor because I want to separate me being a pastor, a role of a pastor with my relationship with Jesus. Man, there can be some times where if I look back on my week, it's like, wow, outside of what I was supposed to do and responsible for doing for grace, I didn't really invest a whole lot in the kingdom, but I want to. And so that's just a, that's just a challenge for me personally. So spiritual growth and gaining understanding of spiritual truth never just happens. It requires intentional action as we pursue Christ and truth. As we pursue him, there's something intentional that's taking place. Let's look at this second point. I have till 1230, right? Isn't that what Sam? Whew. Number two, I'm just, I, I won't make it to 1230. I've only got 5% left on my iPad kidding I'm kidding I really I've got 89%. There's 89% here. So I can't make it to 12:30. So the second point is this. Discipleship requires a listen to this, allegiance to God's kingdom over the principles of the world. Allegiance to God's kingdom over the principles of this world. Our first obligation is not to this world system that leaves God out. Our first obligation and allegiance are to the kingdom of God. That's why I go back to, man, we've got to be careful as Christians that we don't feel like our right. Man, when we talk about the freedom, we love to talk about that in the U.S. And let me say this. I'm very thankful for our freedoms. I'm thankful for the people who fought for our freedoms. My son right now is in the army. He's stationed in Germany. He's in Hungary right now. But he was one that said, man, I'll fight. I'll fight for our freedoms. So I'm very thankful for our freedoms. However, in the U.S., as Christ followers, sometimes we get that twisted up a little bit. Because in the U.S., we think that our freedom gives us the right to do what we want to do. Really, when we talk about freedom in Jesus, the freedom we we get from Jesus and his death on the cross, that freedom gives us the ability to do what we should do, not what we want to do. In fact, when we profess Jesus to be our Lord and Savior, it now begins to put us in a place where we now have the freedom to live like Jesus, not like who we were before Jesus. So that changes things a bit. It it changes things a bit when I'm I'm thinking of a response to somebody that I want to say, but I step back to say, would Jesus say this very thing? A time when me and my humanity, I don't feel like you deserve grace, Yet Jesus would shower you with grace, right? Listen, I know so many Christians that seem to be frequently devastated by the circumstances of life. And almost all of them do not live a life given completely to Jesus. Look, when he comes back for his church, then we'll escape everything that we're experiencing here on this earth. But until then, even as Christ followers, man, we're going to experience pain and trials and and tribulations. We're going to experience all these things. Yet, there's this great, uh, Cameron and I were talking about this just earlier. There's this great hope and strength that we can have even in the midst of that because of our life given completely to Jesus. But so many Christians, man, when things are going great, their relationship with Jesus is strong. And when things are struggling in life and they're feeling pain and, and hurt and confusion and doubt, which we all experience, then the relationship with Jesus just begins to fall to the side. And I'm saying as Christ followers, I mean, our allegiance to God and to his kingdom and to his way means every part of us is given over to him. Look at James 1, 5 through 8. It says this, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Listen to this. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Woo, that's a strong statement. Nobody likes, we don't like that statement. Verse 8 says, their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. They are unstable in everything they do. Man, let's not be Christians, disciples, Christ followers that are unstable in everything that we do. Even when they're cruising along and life seems good, any obstacle they encounter alters their course of their life. So, man, I'm a Christ follower when everything's good, but when things aren't so good, right? Man, let's be different. Let's be different. I read this a while back and it just seems to creep up in my thoughts. In fact, I even mentioned it uh, last Sunday when I was speaking to Cornelius. I, I, I read this a while back that said this, the kingdom of God should be an alternative to our culture and not an echo of it. We're supposed to live a life that when people are watching, even during the hard times, they're seeing this hope and they want that hope. That's what our world needs, right? Here's the third point. Discipleship will anchor us to God's truth so we are not distracted or deceived by the world's philosophies. We saw that in Colossians 2.8. It's crazy to think about many different philosophies that guide and govern so many people's lives and, and even Christians. We live in a society where truth is relative and based on how we feel about the truth. Even in the church, Christians will alter the truth to represent their lifestyles rather than alter their lifestyles to represent the truth. And I, I just wanna be, com- be confronted by God's word. When, I, when I'm not living up to the reflection of the glory of the Lord, right? I wanna be confronted by that so that I can be al- begin to alter how I'm speaking and how I'm acting and maybe the lack of compassion that I sh- I just wanna live like Jesus. And it means that I'm, I'm confronted. And as I'm confronted, I just begin to change things. Second Timothy four, three says this for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. In other words, they'll stop following sound doctrine instead to suit their own desires. They will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their eyes away from the truth and turn aside to myths. And I listen, I think that's the downfall of the church. That's the downfall of the church. Because in all reality, the the word of God should be changing us moment by moment, day by day. The word of God should be changing us, going back to that spiritual growth. I'm not just saying, yeah, I'm I'm spiritually growing. If, If you're spending time in the word every day, but your life isn't changing, something's missing, right? And it's probably because you're not taking that word and beginning to apply it to your life day by day. A kingdom agenda based on God's word rather than a secular agenda based on man's word is the best way to make all of life work as our creator intended. Listen, you can be sure that there's a kingdom agenda. I think we've been talking about that. We'll continue to talk about that. There is a kingdom, capital K, God's kingdom. There is an agenda there. And as Christ followers, we need to discover what that is. We need to begin to live that out. Listen, we know that God has a purpose and plan for our lives. If we are living our lives as disciples, we are participating in the process where God's purpose and plan is being discovered and lived out. Ephesians 2.10, this is one of my favorite verses. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. Listen to this. So salvation, he creates us anew in Jesus Why? So we can do good things, the good things he planned for us long ago. That's the kingdom of agenda. And as a disciple, a follower of Christ, I'm living in a way where I'm participating in the process of discovering what all those good things are. Listen, prevalent philosophies of our day that seem to confront us is secular humanism that elevates self over God. We we fight that every one of us fights this every day selfishness. And we begin to elevate our selfishness over God's desires and over God's purpose and over God's plan. When he says something that's not a part of our daily schedule, hey, why don't you stop by so-and-so's today and just pray with them? But God, I've got a busy day, right? Pray with somebody in a store. Well, that's kind of awkward, right? We all fight this philosophy. And this is the philosophy that we just read about in scripture, Another one that we're seeing happen in the church is Christian nationalism. And I wish I had a long time because I'm reading up more and more about this. And it just goes a lot deeper than what I can get into today. But Christian nationalism elevates allegiance to a nation over God. And we're seeing that happen in our church today. Not in grace, although it's probably happening here too, but just in the church in general. I think that goes back to Christians beginning to voice their rights as American citizens and not kingdom citizens. Let, Let me read just a brief definition of Christian nationalism if you haven't heard that term going around. Christian nationalism is the belief that the American nation is defined by Christianity and that the government should take active steps to keep it that way. Listen, our, our, our nation isn't a Christian nation. A nation cannot be Christian. The people in it can be, right? And, and I'm not even saying don't stand up for, for Christian beliefs in a, in a Christian belief system. I'm not saying that all. But I'm saying is we as, as citizens of God's kingdom, we have to also expect that there's a, a kingdom of this world, and I would say that the U.S. and every other nation in it would be that. A, a nation cannot be Christian. And so when we begin to step outside of, of God's agenda to fight our own agenda, even as Christians in the U.S., that's what we're talking about with Christian nationalism. And I'm just saying, let's, let's make sure that that's not a distraction to us, It doesn't matter what happens in our government. The church can rise. The church can stand. The church can live out who Jesus is because that's how the world is changed. The world is changed by how you and I live. The kingdom of God is established by how you and I live, not how you and I vote. How you and I live. That's what changes our workplace and our communities and our schools and our own churches. That's what changes things when you and I begin to live like Jesus. So as we begin to close, let's just, I want to look at three, uh, four points of just how we can respond before we leave. Embracing a process of discipleship as God's, uh, King. let me say it over because I just fumbled all the way through it. Embracing a process of discipleship as a kingdom citizen, these four things. The first thing is this, passionately pursue Jesus. Passionately pursue Jesus. The second thing is this, engage in spiritual disciplines. Read your word, spend time in worship. The most powerful times I have in worship doesn't happen with a bunch of other people. And it just typically happens when I'm at home and I either put a worship song on or I sit at my piano at home and I just begin to worship God. But we've got to engage in these spiritual disciplines, the disciplines that are changing us, that investment that we talked about earlier when we were talking about the long distance race. The third thing is this, maintain a spirit of humility and be a lifelong learner. And I, I, I just have to be and become more self-aware. As a Christ follower, as a pastor, as a husband, as a dad, I I just have to be self-aware, live self-aware. So that in my humility, as the Holy Spirit begins to challenge me on things in, in my own life, I'm just like, God, forgive me. And empower me to be different, to live differently. The fourth thing is this, be a participant in healthy community. Be a participant in healthy community. Most of you are already doing that now, but it's so, it's so important. We see that happen in the life of disciples. When they've dropped everything to follow him, as the story goes on, we begin to see them do the things that Jesus did. In fact, he said this, and it would mean this to us, that you'll do even greater things. And I don't necessarily mean that that means like more powerful things. I don't know that what's more powerful than raising somebody from the dead. I think that was a quantity of things. Because Jesus knew that he wouldn't be around much longer. So when he says to us, you'll do greater things, it means for us, man, really in our life, every day there should be miracles happening all around us that we're praying for people and we're seeing them healed. We're encouraging people and we're seeing them set free. That's what Jesus meant. We'll do greater things. We've got to be a participant. I think Grace Covenant Church opens up opportunities so often, if not all the time, for us to be participant a participant in what he's doing on a greater level than just ourselves. But we've got to be participants in this. Let's close our eyes. Living by a kingdom agenda demands that we put Jesus first and follow him as his disciples. Follow him as his disciples. And I don't know what that means for you today. And I would imagine that for each one of us, it's going to mean something just a little bit different. But I want to go back to the verse that we read and then just ask this question, does your life reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus? Does your life, and if if as you see that reflection, you're seeing parts that don't, then those are the parts you just begin to say, Holy Spirit, empower me to be different, to live differently. The reality is he's he's already given you that, that power. It really has. In fact, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you received all that you needed at that moment to begin to live as Jesus lived. And then the Holy Spirit comes and you have this experience with him that begins to empower you to live that in a greater way. Let me ask this, If, with every eye closed, if you're here this morning and you haven't received Jesus as your Savior, you haven't had that connection with him, you haven't professed him or confessed him to be your Lord and, and Savior, could you just raise your hand? I just want to pray a prayer. I'm not going to ask you to come up front. Or, Fantastic. That means everybody in the room is saved and that's an exciting thing. Let's begin to live out our lives as disciples, as Christ followers, so that we not only see the glory of Jesus, but we begin to reflect the glory of Jesus with everything that we do and everything that we say. God, thank you so much for who you are. And man, I wish we had another few hours to to talk about discipleship. Uh, Lord, because I, I know that for my, for my own life, there's so many ways that you challenge me to become more like Jesus. In fact, anytime that I, I spend with you and would open myself up in humility to say, point those things out, man, there's like a list of things. So God, thank you so much for in a, in a gracious and loving way, pointing those things out. But also thank you for giving me the, the means, the knowledge and the Holy Spirit to, to change the things in my life that don't reflect the glory of Jesus. I pray that we would all leave this place with that same challenge. Because if we do, if we begin to change those things, then our house looks different tomorrow. Our workplace looks different tomorrow. Our neighborhoods look different tomorrow. Our church looks different. Thank you, God, for who you are, for loving us with such a crazy and awesome love and and, and for going with us as we leave this place today. In Jesus' name, amen.